Uh, Father, we do pause and um, do so with great humility, remembering that you are um, a sovereign God, that you are not just here, but you are, you are um, beyond us, and uh, that we know anything about you at all is because you decided to share yourself with us. And we're grateful for that, Lord. Uh, no um, greater clarity has ever been given or could be than in your word. Uh, we've come to be under its authority. We come to remember that uh, it is your word applied to our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us, affects us, helps us, comforts us, and uh, causes us to engage with you in a powerful and even emotional way. We pray that that would happen today. We pray that um, your word would be spoken and received, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, let's turn in God's word to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, starting in verse 1. And this is God's word, Psalm 25, verse 1. Uh, Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we say, uh, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, before cell phones, um, uh, where everybody has a clock in their pocket, um, there was a time when you used to have to listen to this all the time. You'd go, somebody go, my watch says blah, blah. Well, my watch says this. Well, my watch says this. Well, my watch says this. That used to drive me insane. 
Uh, because as if this is the, well, my watch, this is the authority. Well, my watch says this, this is the authority. It used to drive me nuts. And something wonderful happened um, some years ago, which was the atomic clock became readily available to the public. Um, it was actually invented in the mid-50s, but it was this giant contraption, and it wasn't until the, they, they were able to shrink uh, chips down and so on, um, and, and that you could hang the thing on the wall. And now you don't have to listen to anybody say, well, my watch says this, and my watch says this. In fact, when, uh, in 2011, uh, when, uh, it might have been before then, but I, it, I think it was 2011, I bought my first atomic clock. And I would set my watch. In fact, I still set my watch uh, every uh, couple weeks. I, I reset it to, to atomic time. So I start the service exactly at the right time. Exactly, atomic time. There, and, and so um, th- there's a spiritual parallel to that, and it's called absolute truth. Uh, if you like truth, there is a truth. There's not a sort of a kind of. There's a truth, and it's God's standard of truth. And the only truth is God's truth. And it doesn't matter how somebody personally feels about something that they see or think or believe. It doesn't matter how you personally feel about it. It doesn't matter uh, if it's always been done that way. It doesn't matter if it seems right to you, uh, if you have a gut hunch. It doesn't matter if a preacher or a leader or a professor or a society, a societal norms tells you something. It doesn't matter. All truth is God's truth, and the only truth is God's truth. And that has overarching uh, repercussions uh, to, to our lives. It's got uh, uh, immediate application. Um, it's, it's deeply personal um, to a human being. You know, simply put, uh, if you want to be happy, then uh, only God's truth can make you happy. That's simply put, isn't it? That, that's, a, that's practical application. By, by happy, I don't mean uh, emotionally uh, titillated. I mean um, uh, happy, blessed, happy, at rest, um, happy, uh, recognizing, realizing that as a Christian, you live in a state of blessedness. The only thing that'll make you, make you that is um, understanding that God holds all truth and submitting to that truth. All right. Another way to put it would be this. Uh, hello. Uh, only God can show you the right way to do things. It's pretty clearly put, isn't it? Only God can show you the right way to do things. Um, now, I'll start with something about this poem that uh, you may or may not know. Um, it's built on an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is? Um, my mother-in-law had a million acrostics. She had little books of acrostics that she would just write and write and write. And so she would have the word truth, and it would be trust, uh, righteousness under the... You know, and so every word had a... Every letter had a word. And you know, there's an opposite one too. You know, like every good boy does fine. Who knows what that is? It's musical staff. You know, every good boy does fine. It's a way for you to remember the notes in the treble clef. And so that's an acrostic. And, uh, you know, just like uh, if you ever sat down to write any poetry, any verse, free verse, whatever, if it rhymes, it rhymes. But if it's free verse, you have to sit down and you have to plan uh, the meter, what is going to be the cadence of the poem or song or whatever? You have to, you have to uh, structure it. How many lines are there going to be? Um, and uh, since you have, to, you have to plan those things, you might also do something creative with the first letter of each uh, line. And that's what happens here in Psalm 25. In fact, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. I think there's, um, oh, I think there's 38. No, that's way too many. That's way too many. There's, there's, a, there's a hunk of them, though. There's a hunk of them 
uh, eight or eight or eight or so of uh, acrostic uh, poems in the in the um, Psalms, and th- so they start with uh, you know Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav. Uh, I can't even remember the alphabet anymore. But uh, anyway, I used to know it. Uh, but uh, so it, it follows the Hebrew alphabet, and, and not all of them follow it perfectly. But the point is, there's there's an order. There's a deep order. Okay, that's the point. Uh, I'm not just saying that because it's, it's a point of interest. Oh, well, you know, every line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The point is there's deep order. And I think part of the, the reason there's deep order and the reason that that would, that would be done um, in the Psalms is that so much of the Psalms were to be committed to memory. Uh, if you think about it, poetry is uh, written in a very in a very powerful way. It's 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 got deep order. In fact, in, in I had a, a seminary professor that uh, always called it highly stylized. You've heard me say that before. Uh, highly stylized writing. Highly stylized writing takes the language and reduces it. It's like an extract. You know, uh, it 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 reduces language to make it say the most it can say in a short amount of space. Why? Well, it's very powerful to the soul. That's why. It resonates in our minds, but it also is something that is easy to commit to memory. I mean, you think of how many things that have been put, put in a poetic form um, that, that uh, you still remember after all these years. Uh, you still remember song lyrics to TV shows that you knew when you were a kid. They're glued to your mind. That's because they're highly stylized. And the, and the Psalms were written uh, with deep order. And the reason is, I think... God wants it to stick to our minds and hearts, all right? So I, I say all that to say that. All right, let's look at verse 1. Uh, it says, of David, that is actually part of the psalm. It's uh, the superscription, the little tiny print, uh, Psalm of David. So we know who wrote this. And he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, I would say that that is a very powerful start. Uh, first of all, it's an address to God. He's talking to the, the Lord, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Jehovah. But also, he's speaking to God personally. He's saying, to you, O Lord. He's talking to God personally. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It also sets the whole song up in a certain carriage, in a certain uh, posture. You have one party asking the other party, and the other party is the giver. The other party is the provider, and that is a, that is a guiding principle here. Even when the, the psalmist speaks of things like uh, in verse 5, when he says uh, at the end of it, he says, I wait all the day long. In verse 21, he says, I wait for you. Uh, those things are said in the same sense um, as verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. In other words, I, I, I'm yielded to you. I need you. All right, so even when the psalmist is, is engaging and uh, uh, behaving and operating and responding, the, the, the carriage of the heart is one is the asker, one is the listener, one is the, one is the giver, one, one is the provider, the hearer. Um, and so there's this, this, this strong cry of, of um, this yearning for protection and help in the psalmist's opening here. Um, look at um, the strong parallelisms here too. You've got um, verse 2. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Uh, do you see how that shares order uh, and cadence with the opening? To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, 
in you I trust. You've got a strong Hebrew parallelism. Those show up all over uh, the, the Bible, especially in the Psalms and wisdom literature. Um, parallelisms that, that kind of that say the same thing. They say it in a different way. Sometimes that amplifies the thought, but it's supposed to, it's supposed to give us another uh, glimpse as to the meaning here. And so what does it mean? I think it gives us an answer. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What does it mean, I lift up my soul? What does that mean? I mean, is it, 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 it's, it might be hard to define. I lift up my soul. Well, we get kind of an answer. Oh my God, in you, I trust. I lift up my soul and say, I got nothing but you. <laughs> I'm yielded to you. You have all the power, all the strength, all the information and wisdom, and I yield to you. I trust you, and there's no other way to properly approach the God of heaven. We continue at the end of verse 2 here. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Now, let's pause for that because um, the idea of the word shame here, you know, when we say shame, we think of, uh, you know, embarrassment. Um, We think of uh, being exposed, saddened by our behavior, ashamed. Um, And certainly the Bible addresses shame in that way. But here... um, the idea of shame is more like this. Um, let's not do something, let me not do something as stupid as believe in the wrong thing. <laughs> let me not be put to shame in that way. Um, let the enemies be put to shame because they believe in the wrong thing. But let me not be put to shame because I'm believing in something that's valid. Uh, that's the flavor. In fact, in Romans uh, 5, in the ESV, it says, hope does not ashamed. The New American Standard says, hope does not disappoint. That's the idea. Um, we don't want to believe in something that is invalid, that is not going to help us, something that we concocted, uh, something manufactured or false. All right? And so the David, David the, 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 the psalm writer here, is asking that his faith not be in vain. Uh, he's asking God to be faithful to his own promises, uh, something that is perfectly valid and encouraged to do. Now, here's what he means in verse 2. Um, uh, uh, let me not be put to shame. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in you I trust. Oh, my God, in you I trust, uh, verse 2. Um, and then uh, in verse 3, it says, um, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. So we get another layer. What does it mean to lift up your soul to God? Well, it means to trust him. Also, it means to wait for him. You see the, uh, the position of heart of this writer. And then when he says, let my enemies not exult over me, uh, and he goes on to say, they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. You see another strong parallelism there, putting a point across. And uh, the idea is, those who believe in that which is fake will be let down eternally. Those who believe in what is real will be satisfied eternally and in this life. So, application for your life. Uh, There's the question of how. Um, How do we lift up our hearts to God? How do we um, joy in the benefits of our relationship with this God? How do we gain this kind of peace that comes from having our souls lifted up that God would receive us in compassion? How does that happen? Well, again, in verse 3, none who wait for you uh, shall be put to shame. What is it 
what does it mean to wait for God? It means to believe on Him, to believe in Him, but on Him. Uh, if you're going to wait, it's because you believe in something. Isn't it true? I mean, nobody just sits on a bench. They sit on a bench waiting for a train. <laughs> you sit on a bench because you expect a train to come. That's why you wait. You sit in a little doctor's room because you think the doctor's going to come in. You're not just sitting there like an idiot in your underpants, Right? medical professionals. Um, you wait because you're hoping in something that, that, that you think is going to become a reality. That's the same thing when he says in verse 2, oh my God, in you I trust. Um, h- how, do we, how do we gain that? Here's my advice to you. Ask God for the grace to trust Him, and then trust Him. That's my advice to you. Seems that's uncomplicated, isn't it? Um, if you want to have a deeper relationship with God, ask God to give you the grace for a deeper relationship with Him, and then have a deeper relationship with Him. Uh, if you want to know what truth is, uh, if you're a person who's seeking truth, if you're a person who's unacquainted with the Savior and, and this gospel seems strange to you, and, and when people talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it sounds bizarre to your soul, pray Ask God for the grace to know what is true, and then uh, ask Him for the grace to believe what is true. That's just good advice uh, in any approach to this God. All right, moving on to our next point. It is, oh, I never even showed you the first one. Oh, the antidote to shame. Sorry. Um, Second point, the way to the way. Verse 4, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are, my sal- are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Again, waiting we see there. Now, we see a continued answer of what it is to trust God. And, uh, you know, the way uh, is, is spoken of, the, you know, in a big giant hunk of the psalm. Um, like in verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. It's talking about the way. It's talking about the way we live, um, in, in uh, it, I wait for you all the day long. Look at verses 6 and 7. Uh, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Uh, the anchor uh, for what the writer is saying is in God's steadfast love. Uh, verse 7, too. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgression. According to your steadfast love, remember me. Um, it is the sighting of God's own promises um, and, the, and the infinitely faithful nature that backs those promises. You know, um, when, when we say, remember your mercy, Lord, remember not the sin of my youth or my transgressions, I don't know if you've heard this preach before. You probably have. I have growing up where people say, God can't remember your sin. He can't remember it. He just can't even remember it. It's not even within his power anymore to remember because it's been covered by the blood of the lamb and he just doesn't, he can't, it's not even in, he doesn't even know it ever even happened. That is ridiculous. God is sovereign. He knows everything. Uh, He is omniscience. All of it is his. Of course, he remembers everything that ever happened. Of course, he knows about everything you ever did. The point is, he's not acknowledging it. The point is, he's not holding it against your account. So when the psalmist says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, he's saying, remember you made a promise? Hold to that promise, and remember that that promise in relation to me. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. It's not that God has, has amnesia. It is that, Lord, because of your steadfast love, 
because of the promises that you've made, don't hold my sin against me. That's what he's saying here. Um, and look at verses, oh, this is awesome. Look at verses 8 and following. Notice that something happens here. Something, something changes. Uh, can you see um, that something changes in verse 8? What, look at it. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble. He teaches the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord. What, what has changed right there? Hard to spot, but it's dramatic. From the beginning of the psalm, it's been personal address. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Lead me in your truth. He's speaking to God directly. All of a sudden, he shifts, and he's, he's, he's speaking in the third person. Uh, all of a sudden, he's talking about, about God. Good and upright is the Lord. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads humble. And aside from verse 11, where he turns back to addressing the Lord personally, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Aside from that, one verse, 8 through 15, are all this side note. It's instruction um, and, uh, rather than a personal address. Is that not interesting? Why is that in there? Well, it's poetry, number one. Uh, it just happens to be put that way. But number two, it's this. The, the first section um, is supplication. He's saying, Lord, please do this. Please do this. It's a personal address. Would you please do this? Would you please do this? Would you please do this? All of a sudden in verse 8, it changes, and it's affirmation. He's saying, God is this way. God is this way. God is this way. And in an instructive way, too. I mean, we're the readers. We benefit from it, too. He's going, God is this way. God is this way. It's affirmation. What he's doing is it's a confession of faith. He's reciting what he believes. And don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're doing out there. You know, I'm the worship leader of your church. Um, and honestly, I, 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 don't even, I don't think I'm a very good one. I mean, I can make some songs, um, but I'm not sure our congregation even understands worship at all. I'm not sure they understand I'm saying this. I'm saying some of this at the end too. I'm not sure we understand what it is to be gathered. I'm not sure we understand the the great priority of that. I think we think it's just like any other little uh, uh, leg of of ministry: the equestrian club, the music club, uh, the uh, motorcycle riding club, uh, the cigar club. You know, whatever you have at your church, it just seems like an, another leg of it. I'm not sure our church really understands that. But um, all all I'm saying is this. When, you, when, you've got, when you've got things about God written here that the church focuses on together, that is confession. And we do it in our soul. We do it together. Uh, we do it individually. All right. Application for your life. Um, for your soul to be safe, to, to feel safe, um, certain things have to, be, have to be a reality. And there's a big one. And we see it in verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. That is an important qualification. I mean, if you want to know what it is to lift up your soul to God and to trust in him and to wait for him and to ask things of him, if you want to know what that is, what the posture needs to be, it is this. He leads, God leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. Uh, That is a a priority with God, y'all. Listen to this, Psalm 138.6. 
For the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Um, Proverbs 3, uh, 34. Toward the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Another one from Proverbs 29. Once pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Uh, Matthew 23, uh, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, Luke 1, 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Um, how about this one from James? Uh, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You get the picture? God is only interested in the humble heart. Um, I shouldn't say that. God is interested in the obstinate heart, and he breaks it. <laughs> um, but in his saving work, in his justifying of sinners, the result is humility of spirit. Nobody comes proud to the foot of the cross. And God is in the business in our, in our Christian lives as he sanctifies us. God is in the business of bringing us back to that posture, back to that posture, back to that posture again and again. Right when we feel like we got control of the steering wheel and we start getting our confidence back and we're going, okay, um, God gets our attention again and he, uh, he's in the business of bringing us back to the humility that we had at the foot of the cross. All right, let's go to our third point. Uh, for uh, the total package, uh, verses 16 and following uh, are, just, are just so rich. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I put it this way, they're sore. They're sore. Uh, listen to this. Turn to me and be gracious to me. I am lonely, afflicted. Those are powerful words. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Again, consider my affliction, my trouble. Forgive all my, my, my sins. I mean, you feel the weight of what this, this man is saying. Consider how many are my foes, violent hatred they have toward me. Guard my soul, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. May integrity and righteousness preserve me, for I wait for you. You just see those sore uh, words. You know, um, the, the, the end of verse 18, look at it. Forgive all my sins. That's quite a... That's quite a um, supplication. Forgive all my sins. How about uh, end of verse uh, 20? I take refuge in you. How about the end of verse 21? I wait for you. All right, you've got this, this psalmist who's yearning, this psalmist who is asking of God, this, this psalmist who is doing. Uh, but notice that it's all prefaced in the reality of what God is first doing. Um, Verse 18, consider my affliction and trouble, forgive my sins. Verse 20, guard my soul and deliver me, I take refuge in you. Verse 21, may you preserve me, for I wait for you. I mean, uh, all the actions, all the, all, the, all the activities of the psalmist are couched in this idea of first what God is doing, what God is doing, and then comes the rest. That's the order of things. Now, application for your life. Let me just share the gospel with you. Um, you know, we have this lift closet. You've seen some of our lift closet videos. It's just a big closet that we've shoot some music videos and some talking videos in there. And um, people give their testimony. And uh, they'll say, hey, this is the, the gospel according to Jim. And uh, they give their testimony. And everybody starts with Adam and Eve, and they give kind of a, a theological uh, 
uh, demonstration of the gospel, and it's all very clear and all very good. But if I, when I do, someday, when I, if, if I do, sit in that lift closet, I'm going to be a little bit more folksy. I'm going to be more like, uh, I'm not going to start with Adam and Eve. I'm going to say, you think the world's kind of screwed up? Because I do. <laughs> I mean, you see beautiful things in the world? I sure do. Beautiful things, beautiful things all around you. All these indications that there's a good world. It was a good architecture. It was a good plan. It's amazing. It's lovely. It's thrilling. It, it makes us feel small. Why? Because it's full of God's fingerprints, His grandeur. And at the same time, there's brokenness everywhere. Everywhere you look, every relationship is broken. There's hurt in every single seat in this room. There's entanglement in every single seat. Um, and and there's, there's treachery, there's betrayal, there's hurt, there's lack of faithfulness. The people that you claim to love the most, you hurt the most. Is that not a strange, a strange situation in a world that's, that's foundationally beautiful? Well, there's a problem, and the problem is sin. Sin breaks things. Sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks the integrity of things. Sin changes the course of everything. And when sin entered this world, the entire thing changed. The world changed. Not just people. The world changed. The world became cursed. Well, God knows this. And God looks down, and He sees us in our misery, and He feels mercy. That is what mercy is. He sees us in our misery. He responds to our misery. And in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. He sees our misery. That's mercy. mercy. He pours out grace. Uh, he gives us what we don't deserve. And why does he do this? Ultimately, for his own glory that we go, oh, wow. And the, and the heavenly realms go, oh, wow. This is what grace is. This is what this God is like. Amazing. But also because he loves us. And so what God has done is he sent Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God, the very righteousness of God, the infinite God, and he comes down, he becomes incarnate. You know what that means? It means that he remains fully God, but at the same time, he takes on a human nature. He's born into this world in flesh and blood by a mom, and mom feeds him, and mom cares for him, and he grows in wisdom and stature, and he grows up, and he experiences life. He experiences temptation. He feels all the things that we'll feel, but there's a big difference. He never sins. Imagine your children never sinning. Can you imagine? They never lie to your face. They never let you down for any reason, un 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 unrighteously. This is Jesus. He lives a perfect life, and then he is eligible to lay that life down. I can't do it because I'm guilty. But Jesus can say, I'm not guilty, so I'll lay my life down in the guilty person's place. The equation of salvation is this. I bring my guilt. He brings his righteousness. My guilt is put on the Savior. He dies on the cross. The wages of sin is death. He pays the wages. And what do I get? I get his righteousness. That's the great transaction. That's what it is to believe in Jesus Christ. It's not just to say, we're, I'm a Christian. We're all Christians. It is by grace, through faith alone. It's the gift of God, not by working at it so that nobody can ever boast. Remember, humility is the way unto this God. All right. Lastly, the always perspective. I just love and am kind of invigorated by verse 22. It just is this 
last verse that is just set down there at the end of all this. And it says this, he's praying, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. I mean, you've got a personal address of the psalmist to God, and then you've got this great uh, affirmational section. Then you've got this soreness of heart that's this pleading with God. Uh, And then at the end of it, the, the umbrella just widens, and he says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And what's different about the writing voice? The writing voice now is that he's speaking for all the people, all of God's people, and therein lies our lesson and our application. Um, Yes, we are individual saved people. It's true. Yes, we are individual worshipers. Yes, we are individual children of God. Yes, we are individual born-again people. We are individual names in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, when we, when we gather for worship out there, we are individually worshiping God. I am worshiping God. Even when I'm up there leading, I'm leading, but I am worshiping. I'm trying to. I'm not, my family's not trying to send me a text. I, I, that messes me up a little bit. I blow a cord. But uh, I, I'm worshiping individually. But friends, we're worshiping as a people. I mean, you're worshiping individually right now. You're listening to God's word. You're under its authority. You, 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 you are. But the greater, the greater thing is the we. It's the we. Um, there are, oh, this is it, 43. There are 43 Bible verses in both the Old and the New Testament. 43, Old and New Testament, that say something like, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's God's plan. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's an us salvation. It's a people that God's redeemed, and we lose the context of God's, uh, if we lose the context of God's people, then we lose the meaning of of the scriptures. Um, I will be their God, and they will be my people. So friends, the next time it rains, don't blow off church. Um, Scurry on to be over here with all the other wet people, because uh, that's God's plan. Church is not some man-made institution. You know, friends, every single, I've got a few of them, but Every time somebody says, the church is full of hypocrites, I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course it's full of hypocrites. I want to say you idiot, but that's not very loving. But I want to say, do you think we've never heard that before? It's a total deflection. Your teenage, your college kid's going to say that. I just don't like organized religion. Really? You're going to go with that one? I don't like organized religion. Insane. Uh, I've been burned, burned by the church. I'm burned out on the church. Really? You're going to go with that? You don't understand very much if that's, if that's what you're going to go to. Um, friends, uh, it, organized religion isn't a man-made thing. It is that you've got a God who wants a people. Uh, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's why we gather. That's why we're compelled to do it. Um, all right, last thing is this. Um, uh, I, I told you, I, did, I, did I tell you we went to the Chris Tomlin concert? Did I tell you that? Yes, no, mm, no, we did, we did. It was kind of like, I thought, eh, Tammy had a school thing. And, uh, and I was like, well, I guess I should go to this thing just to kind of see what's going on out there in the music world. You know, it'd probably be good for things. And uh, um, 
But it was also my wife's birthday, and uh, so her principal is just super kind and super understanding. If I've got a church thing, she's super merciful. Anyway, Tammy went to the school thing, was able to go out, get out kind of early. We went downtown. We saw Chris Tomlin. Who was it? Anybody at the Chris Tomlin concert? Oh, yeah, you were. Anybody else? Okay. Well, listen, I, I thought uh, it was fine. Um, it, it looked to me like there was nothing like, oh, wow, if only we could do that. Oh, my goodness. I was like, it looks like every church you've ever, you know, every contemporary church you've been to, you know. In fact, I thought it was very conservatively done. Um, I also walked away feeling very good about our music program. All the good stuff that you can glean from that world, I think we're looking for it and grabbing it. And all the silly stuff, we're not grabbing it. We're letting, it, we're letting other people do it, okay? Uh, so in the main, I thought, it was, I thought it was really well done. This preacher guy came out and did a thing in the middle that was phenomenal. Just, didn't you agree? So good. So healthy for the church. Um, all right, so all that to say, it was mostly really, really good. And, this, and the part that I'm saying isn't even that, isn't really bad, okay? But toward the end, they had a confetti cannon. And uh, I got no problem with a confetti cannon. It was kind of fun, you know? And when it finally fell on me, I was, it was sticking to my beard. I was like, man, this is kind of, oh, it just was surreal, and there's a confetti cannon, and it was toward the end of the night. Uh, it was fine. It was, it, you know, it wasn't a church service. It was at the FedEx Forum. It was a concert. A confetti cannon went off. No big deal. I'm not criticizing the confetti. Um, but I did think it was interesting. There's this like famous, uh, what time is it? Um, there was this f- famous Hispanic uh, Christian recording artist. And while the confetti's going off, she's going, uh, she's going, free my heart, free my heart, free my heart, free my heart. And confetti's going, free my heart. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, does it mean give me rest, Lord? Does it mean give me peace? Does it mean save me? Um, I don't know. Uh, um, it was fine. It was just, I just, that has been stuck in my head. I'm driving on the road, free my heart, free my heart. I just keep seeing confetti. And anyway, I came across this thing in the Valley of Vision. Listen to this. Um, oh, wrong page. Hang on. I, I read this, in, I read part of this out there this morning. Um, listen to this. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. It's worth infinite. It's value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, Sin following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought. Sin is my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, uh, and so on? Yet thy compassions yearn over me. Thy heart hastens to my rescue. Thy love endured my curse. Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. (laughs) I mean, that last line, 
triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. You've got all this stuff about sin, my malady, my foe, my viper, this sad situation, but it just doesn't leave you hanging there. In fact, in one sentence, a block of scary stuff like this that's sad and hard is met with redemption. Triumphing gloriously and as an heir of salvation. <laughs> that's what the gospel affords you, friend. So if you're, if you're dragging knuckles on the ground in guilt and shame, uh, if, you're, if you're not sensing that you're living in a state of blessedness, I'm preaching to myself too. If you're saddened, if you're disheartened, if it's hard, if you have questions that are, that are complex, uh, entanglements uh, relationally, inside, familial, familially, um, j- just remember this God. Lift up your heart to his soul. Come with a posture that is bent in great humility. Let us pray. What? Oh, free my heart. Sorry. Let us pray. Lord, <laughs> thank you for that clarification. Uh, bless us, God. Bless us, God. Um, we uh, are in utter need of uh, you for all things, and to you we submit with humility and great joy in our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks.